Howdy folks, welcome to our podcast, American Cowboy in New Zealand. This is Ben Longwell with True West Horsemanship. We're glad you're here. Join us as we share stories and adventures and interview extraordinary men and women in the equine and ranching industries to gain insight into horsemanship and life itself. It is our mission to help people and their horses better understand one another and achieve together that which they cannot do individually. Thanks for riding along with us. Hey there, everybody. Glad you were able to tune in today. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about some practical sides of our horsemanship and communication, particularly on the groundwork, but it also has an application to riding. And just to start off with, I want to review what I am really focused on when I, when I talk about horsemanship. The way I define it is a way of being around a horse that fits a horse. And so there's a multitude of ways that there may be to, you know, have a horse do something. Say there's a hundred different ways to be effective in getting a horse to do any one thing. But only the top 10% of those ways fit the way a horse thinks and behaves and looks at life. That to me is horsemanship. Our approach being adjustable to fit the horse and fit the situation. So we're not just trying to talk about ways that are effective or ways that work. We simply also want to add that aspect of something that fits the horse, the way they think, the way they look at life, their perspective, and the differences that in, in all of those things compared to the way we think and look at life. So groundwork is a conversation. I often say that groundwork is a conversation or, or a communication between you and your horse, a dialogue, not a monologue. And it's, it's actually one of these things we've got to really be aware. It's constant if we're on the ground and we're around our horse. It's, it's not one of these things that sort of comes and goes, uh, you know, if you're in the round pin, you're doing groundwork, and then when you step out, you're doing something else, or you, or you shut off somehow. It's not one of those things that we turn on and turn off. If we're around our horses and we're on the ground, you know, we are participating in an ongoing conversation regardless. And sometimes as humans, we tend to compartmentalize and, and we, we shut these things off without even really thinking about it if we're not aware and if we're not conscious or intentional about being consistent with these things. We have to be aware consistently and not, ex you know, stop expecting uh, a certain quality or a certain way of them being around us, whether it's their awareness of our space or whatever it is, the movement of their feet, them being with us or where their focus is at, whatever that is, it needs to be, we need to be 100% consistent on that. So I want to dig in a little deeper today, and I'm pretty excited about this because this is something that I talk about at nearly every clinic I teach, private lessons. You know, when I'm dealing with horses and people, which is what I do full time, I talk about this subject a lot, and it's so fundamental, and some of the, the principles can be so uh, life-changing for for the people and their horses when, when we as people start to understand these things. And so I'm really excited about this to share this with you guys today. 
there's there's two modes of communication that begin in our groundwork in the way that we're going to be communicating with our horses. Now, there's a lot of catchwords in the horseman, horsemanship circles. There's there's a lot of catchphrases or catchwords that have really um, sort of caught on in the last you know, 10, 20, 30 years, and people repeat these things or they spout off these things, and you see them on YouTube, you see them uh, or you hear them in clinics. And a lot of times there's the there's still quality there and there's still meaning maybe in those things but other times it starts to get overused or it starts to get misused or just a, a piece of it i think we we lay hold of a piece of that uh principle that understanding there and we don't develop that fully maybe for for, for a lot of us and so you know you hear the words partnership leadership communication body language you hear these words a lot in horsemanship circles so I want to pick on that word or that phrase body language. And this is a, one of those biggest catchwords that you hear. And it's what I call, the body language is what I'm going to refer to as indirect feel. Okay. In our groundwork, it's the indirect feel that is our body language. And the other mode of communication I mentioned too is the direct feel. Okay. So we've got body language, indirect feel, and the tool with which we are influencing or asking for bend and suppleness starting in the pole is the direct feel. So in our groundwork, primarily that's going to be the rope halter. As we go to riding, some of us that'll be a snaffle, that might be a hackamore, might be some sort of side pole or, or various things. That's a tool and it's to ask for suppleness primarily is to ask for bend or suppleness, some softening of the pole to start with. There's other aspects that that's going to be used in, and we're not going to touch on that in this episode. We're going to focus on the indirect feel, okay? Body language is, is talked about a lot, and yet sometimes it is not thoroughly defined. So I always like to define it so that we can quantify, you know, we can pull it out of the abstract realm and actually have a look at some elements that give us an idea of what we're actually using, what it actually can look like, and how, if something's maybe not going like we would like it to, we can adjust these elements or understand how to adjust these elements in order to communicate more clearly. I start nearly all of my clinics with, with these, these sorts of elements, making sure people understand this. And so, first thing we've got to understand is horses are masters of body language. Like they wrote they wrote the book on it. Right? And and I give the example of you know, we're at a clinic or whatever, we have a group of horses that don't know one another, we turn them all loose out in the pasture or in the arena. And I ask folks, what would we see? What would we experience if we turned all these horses loose and let them start to mingle? And I get all kinds of answers from, you know, lots of kicking and squealing and carrying on to, you know, the other end of the spectrum, the, the subtle, almost unnoticeable shifts in weight or position, looks in the eye or, or shapes of the body or use of a certain amount of personal space. These sorts of things, these horses would naturally begin to form a herd, establishing a pecking order, and they would be doing so primarily through body language. And so that, to me, is a picture of the way a horse naturally communicates. 
and they have a really wide range there of from from subtle you know so subtle that we can't really even see what might be going on all the way up to double barrel kicks and squealing and striking and biting and some pretty heavy duty stuff that we're not even capable of so quite a wide range they are almost entirely nonverbal whereas us humans we're quite verbal and we like to think that we're mostly verbal or that we communicate primarily through speaking but i believe the stats are something like 60 to 70 percent of our communication actually is body language as well as humans yet the problem is is that we are not aware of it as humans we communicate a lot through body language but we do it subconsciously we're not aware of what our bodies are doing to communicate we're reading that from others in our communication we subconsciously read their body language and we subconsciously are communicating ourselves with a certain amount of body language so as horsemen we actually need to become more aware of what our bodies are doing what it means to the horse or could mean to the horse and how to be more consistent and intentional with what we can do with our bodies if we're going to talk about body language if we're going to try to use that as a way that is going to be intuitive to the horse in our communication then we actually have to become more conscious of this so many times a lot of the problems on the ground or the issues that we have with our horses are really symptoms of a communication problem that has a lot to do with our body language sometimes a lot to do with our consistency in what we're communicating our expectations to be but it's in our body language where a lot of the confusion lies for our horses. So there's three elements that I want us to think about when it comes to the indirect feel, starting with our groundwork. And that is position, life or energy, and space. Okay, so three elements that we're going to define and just quantify here as we're discussing this. First of all, position has to do with where you are at in relation to your horse. Particularly being ahead or behind the balance point in the shoulder. Now I want to quickly define this. So every herd animal on God's green earth has a balance point in the shoulder. And I always say if you have any stock work experience, if you've worked with livestock, you know you don't stand up ahead of a cow or a sheep or anything else and expect them to come towards you unless they've been specifically taught to lead or something but if you're hurting you're driving you're sending them you are going to get back behind their shoulder to push them forward or to ask them to move forward horses are no different the only difference really is the way we handle them that we put a halter on them and we proceed to do way too much with the halter okay and we do away we, we uh, do away but we we eliminate a lot of the potential we would have to communicate with our body language and then we confuse with the rest you know and some horses fill in and some can't and some get bothered and some get dull you know those are kind of your options so if we can maintain that balance point and use our position say in our groundwork to send them forward from slightly behind the balance point in the shoulder instead of being ahead of the balance point that's an example of position consistency in position to indicate go or on the other hand to indicate stop and we'll talk a little bit more about that in the future significantly but on a more subtle note within our position is what I call our intention 
Now intention has to do with where you are directing your upper body or where I say you square your shoulders away, okay? Other folks might, you might have heard it said, you know, where you point your belly button or something like that. Where you direct your intention, this is where that second element, life or energy, can really start to be effective in the way it's being directed if you're consistent with how you shape up your intention. Most of the time, we're not aware of this. We're not um, conscious enough of this. And so we're all over the place. And we, you know, a sensitive horse will get really bothered by the fact that we're just moving, moving our intention all, all around all the time without being clear with it. And, and, and a lot of horses, most of them, are just going to get dull to it. They're just, just going to tune it out in one ear and out the other because it obviously doesn't mean anything. And so again, we have eliminated potential in our communication. One quick example of this is the simple stop, what I call the simple stop. And what this is, is in a nutshell, is when you're working your horse and your groundwork, you're working on your go and your circles, you're in that go position, which I just described earlier, being slightly behind the balance point of the shoulder with your intention directed towards the shoulder. And you're sending, but you're going with them a little bit in that circle. And to stop them, rather than always asking them to face up to us and yield the hindquarters, we also want to be able to just stop them, which is simply moving ahead of the balance point of the shoulder and turning our intention to face the shoulder. So we're sending from behind the shoulder here with our intention directed towards it. And as we step ahead of the shoulder, we turn and face the shoulder at, a, at an opposite angle from where we were in our go position. So we've got a go position, we've got a stop position. And what this enables us to do, among many other things, is get a better stop going, like a true woe or halt, which is just stop your feet. Secondly, it will actually help your horse be much more aware of your space, which we're going to get to here in a little bit. It's going to help keep you safer on the ground. All right. It also helps to build better thing, uh, improving things like the turn on the hindquarter, okay, or the backup, various other things in our groundwork and different maneuvers that we're wanting to be able to communicate. All too often, and this is a subject for another day, we are taught to yield that hindquarter and have that horse face up to us out of our circle and our groundwork as the way to stop our horses in our groundwork. And it is, in fact, only one way, one of, a, of three that I actually regularly use and teach to ask a horse to stop in our groundwork. And there's important reasons for each one. And we end up doing too much of a good thing when we only do that one, yielding the hindquarter, asking that horse to face up. Again, another subject for another day, but very, very important. Second position I want us to be aware of in our body language is what I call life or energy. Okay, This could be noise or movement that encourages the horse to make a change you know, from what he's doing to something you'd like him to be doing, maybe from standing still to, to walking or from walking to trotting or whatever that might look like. It has life to it. There's There might be noise or their movement. You might click your tongue, uh, pointing the finger, you know, when you point and, and indicate that you'd like them to start to move. You might be moving your feet. Uh, there's there's slapping your leg. There's that that there's a sharpness in some noises that might get their attention. And there's other times when that's just going to bother a horse, and there'd be no need for that kind of fractious, what I call fractious life. Okay. Now 
the thing we need to be aware of here and what us humans tend to do is we we tend to use tools a lot okay and we tend to have the halter in one hand and quite often in our groundwork we're taught to use a flag or a dressage whip or or a stick and string or various other tools in our other hand now our hands are full of tools and as humans we've invented these tools and we tend to do a lot with them we tend to uh, if we have a tool in our hands we just use it and we don't think about even how much we're using it and what's more we don't think about what we could be doing with our body language instead what we could be doing with our life our life or energy in our bodies actually okay so what I find and this is across the board is that if you have that tool in your hands you are probably guaranteed to be robbing yourself and thus your horse of your ability to communicate more through actual body language now does that mean that there's something wrong with those tools not necessarily no there's a time and place for a flag or a stick or whatever to be effective or to be safe absolutely we have to be effective and we have to be safe so there is definitely a time and place for those tools but they're, they're a substitute for life, or what I call synthetic life, you know. It's not body language, okay? More subtle than noise or movement is the idea of rhythm, okay? Horses move with rhythm. If we're using, a lot of times, we're using our life to indicate movement to the horse of some kind, then all movement with our horses has rhythm. The walk has a specific beat. The trot is different. The lope or canter is different again. Each movement has a rhythm, and, and you could speed up and slow down those rhythms to change the speed of each of those gates within the gate, as well as transitions upwards and downwards to and from each gate. Okay? So if we can really refine our ability to communicate our life with rhythm, and I use my feet a lot when I'm in, in, in my groundwork, I'll use my feet quite a lot to get with my horses as they're going. And pretty soon, when I start to make a change, they come with me on those changes, upwards or downwards. They hunt that feeling of going together that I've offered them in the first place. And there's a lot more about that that we could talk about. But in a nutshell, rhythm in other words anyone can chase a horse with a flag or something you know around and around you know and make that horse run or whatever right trot around wildly right but and the horse may get conditioned to that and they may get to where they're okay with that but initially what is that horse's motive well if he's bothered by the flag it's fear you know and if he's not bothered by the flag he probably didn't move and you had to flap it more and now he is bothered by the flag you know it's it's just to me it probably has caused the right thing to be done from the wrong frame of mind or the wrong motive in the horse and so we look on the outside and say cool i got my horse running around there that's what i wanted but we don't realize that that we've given him the wrong frame of mind to do that and it's not responsive as much as reactive okay and again we're robbing ourselves as much as anything when we're just flapping that flag rather than recognizing how or how we could be indicating that we want our horse to lope or canter say in our body language with a change of rhythm okay so 
little bit about life. Thirdly is the element of space. So we've got position, life, and thirdly is the element of space. Now this is the distance between us and the horse, right? Seems kind of obvious. But we tend to think of this in terms of our own safety primarily. We want to be safe around these big animals and we don't want to get stepped on or run over or kicked. But it's actually also part of our communication. If we can use our space, use our personal bubble as actually part of the way we're going to communicate with these guys, it can clear up a lot of things. And it's very intuitive to the horse. They, they are always very aware of their own space. Like that's part of the way they stay safe and, and they stay aware of their own environment, right? If he's stepping on you or running over you, it's not that he didn't know you were there, most likely. It's just that he didn't care. <laughs> he just is not aware enough. He didn't know that it mattered. So whatever he moved, whatever reason he moved for was more important than the fact that you were standing there where he needed to move. So it's just, in his mind, a list of priorities, and you didn't rank up there high enough. But that is part of the leadership that we're trying to establish with these horses. And so, like I said, at, in the herd... They're very aware of each of their individual space, right? And as a herd animal, there's that dynamic that goes on amongst themselves, each within where they're at in the pecking order, okay? And it's part of how they stay safe or feel comfortable is understanding where their place is in that herd. And it's communicated a lot through space. And so if we can be consistent with our space, we're not only keeping ourselves safer, we also have an effect of keeping... Or, or helping our horses feel more safe around us because of our consistency in the use of our space. It's an element of their understanding of our leadership when we're consistent with our personal bubble. These three things work together. Very rarely will you have one of these elements working by itself. And what's more than a lot of times in the groundwork, you'll have the indirect feel or the body language working simultaneously with the direct feel, the rope halter most often, right? So you've got both of those elements working together, both of those modes of communication working together at the same time. And in a nutshell, your body language is asking for movement most of the time, primarily, and the, the halter is primarily asking for that suppleness or the bend to start in the pole and to soften that, that start of their spine there with the idea that you want suppleness flowing throughout their body. So you could say then, in our groundwork, we are looking for the establishment, physically speaking, the establishment of suppleness with movement. Movement and suppleness, and then suppleness with movement. All right, And that can be quite a process, quite a uh, process of... of building those steps in one at a time or incrementally or however it might look for each horse very differently. But that needs to be our understanding in, in, in the physical aspect of what we're establishing in our groundwork. What we need to be aware of especially is that's the physical side and that's only going to be as good as the emotional and mental okayness in our horses. If they are not mentally and emotionally okay, it's going to show up in the movement and or the suppleness or lack thereof in our horses. In other words, they might be bracy. 
they might be explosive in their movement, you're going to see reactive or resistant type behavior and movement. And that needs to be recognized that they may be trying to do the right thing. They may be doing even what it is you want, but the quality of it is not what you're looking for. More about that in some more episodes coming up. Very excited about these things. Each of these elements is so important that we understand as we're going along. And this is true whether we're starting a young colt or something, or we're tuning up one of our, our older saddle horses, or we've purchased a new horse and we're trying to get to know one another. It is so absolutely vital. Not to, something to be drilled on. It's a conversation, right? It's not just about repetition. Matter of fact, it's first about quality, not quantity. So it's not something that we are just going to drill on. It'd be like having the same conversation with your friend every day. You get together for coffee, you sit down, and you have the same exact conversation. Oh, how you how you doing? Oh, yep, doing good. How are you? Oh, yep, good. How's the weather? Weather's fine. How's your weather? You know, I mean, just if you did that every day, it's not going to have any meaning. It's not going to have any conversational quality aspect at all, right? And our horses are kind of similar. They don't need a bunch of repetition with this stuff as much as an understanding. If you ask the question and they answer it correctly, you're probably in pretty good shape. If you want to double check that it wasn't a fluke and ask again, cool. You know, if it's a young horse, a little more repetition might be necessary. But a lot of times us humans get stuck in too much routine and too much repetition with our groundwork. So be aware of that. Now, each of these things, each of these elements and these, these things that we're talking about are all covered in way more detail in my groundwork series in our online video library. It, this groundwork series covers the early stages of groundwork in the starting of a colt, young colt that did not have much handling. Matter of fact, what handling he did have, he was very, very pushy. And, uh, and we, we worked with him quite a lot. He was very much in your space. Okay, you can watch trailers of many of our videos on the playlist, the trailer playlist on our YouTube channel. Okay, so search True West Horsemanship on YouTube and you can watch a lot of trailers to get a taste of what's on our, on our online video library. Our online video library also starts with a free trial on our website. So if you have not checked that out, I do encourage you to do that. If, the, if this is something that you're like, wow, I, I'd like to get uh, to where I could do a little bit more of this or understand this better or even just to develop what you already know further. I encourage you to do that. Now I want to give you a couple of examples here of some of the things that we're talking about. Okay, We talked about position, life, and space. I want to give you some real practical examples here just before we wrap up on what this, what, what it can look like and what, what I see a lot of times being misused in our body language. So first of all is a person's position being ahead of the balance point when they're asking the horse to circle around them. One of the most common things I see with folks that are fairly well studied in a lot of groundwork and, and have done some horsemanship studies, okay, is a very common thing, the person's position ahead of the shoulder in the circle, okay? And the horse may be getting sticky or may be resistant to move forward, at which point the person twirls the rope, okay, say in their left hand, sending or pushing the horse up through their own position ahead of the shoulder. So their position ahead of the shoulder, the horse gets sticky, they drive the horse 
through themselves by twirling the rope where? Back behind the balance point. So they're applying synthetic energy or life back behind the balance point to push that horse up through their position as if to ask the horse to disregard that balance point. Just take that out of there and just ignore the fact that I'm ahead of your shoulder. And guess what? It works. Yep. It works. It's one of those things that works. But does it fit a horse? Well, a horse is a herd animal and he has that balance point in there. And I don't think God put it in there for no reason. So it could actually be really helpful for us, a lot safer for us, if our horse is very aware of us being ahead of that balance point, we do not want them moving towards us. The only exception is if we turn and we walk away, we're leading, that's a different job, they come with us, okay? Now I know that there's drawing and you can get them to draw towards you and you're backing your feet up and that, and that works for, you know, goes towards liberty work and those sorts of things, that's fine. That's a different deal, that's a different track. But if you think your horse is pushy, or rude, or disrespectful, I want to tell you, he's not. He just is unaware of your space, or he's used to you getting out of his way and backing your feet away from him, and you're not using your space consistently to help him understand any different. That's just the end of the story on that one. Okay, so that's just a little example there. Another one would be using a flag. We touched on this a little bit before. Using a flag for upwards transitions. Anybody just about. It doesn't take much skill to be able to chase a horse up upward into upwards transitions with a flag. Okay? That doesn't take body language. That doesn't take horsemanship. Right? You can you can get a horse most most horses fairly easily into running around you there. Okay? But what about life in our body language? What about an indication that gives the horse the idea of what it is you'd like him to do? And what's more than gives him a feeling of going together with you when you're there. So there's a rhythm that you're both in that lope or that canter together, that three beat gait with a moment of suspension, and you're both kind of there and it kind of feels good. They may be fractious to start with. They may not fully understand, of course. If they're sensitive, they may be a bit worried about some of that, but pretty soon they start to feel that you're actually going together there. And even though it's a little work, it kind of feels nice. That'd be the kind of foundation I'd want to build on in moving forward with a youngster at speed, understanding how speed doesn't need to be reactive or fractious. It can actually just be responsive. Responsive. The third example that I put down here, which is huge, absolutely huge, is the whole deal of pushing a horse back. So you've got a horse that comes in on top of you. And again, this is, this is all our fault as humans, okay? Tell me what is natural about a horse being a chief prey animal, like one of the, one of the top prey animals, animals that are preyed upon. What's natural about them pushing or running over or, or pushing into the space of an apex predator? A human, okay? There's nothing natural about that. A actually, that is completely conditioned domestically. The horse has been shown how to push over, push through a person. The person gets out of their way, okay? 
and the horse learns how to, or has been asked to push up through them, like we talked about with position, all these sorts of things. The horse is not aware of the person's space. He's not rude. He's not pushy. He's not disrespectful. Disrespectful, I, I get onto this little bandwagon quite a bit, you know, disrespectful is a human term that implies knowledge that is being ignored and is being deemed unimportant, okay? If a horse is doing this, he doesn't know. There's not knowledge, it's ignorance. He doesn't know. So it's ignorance, and what's more, what he does know is a product of what he's been shown and what he's been taught. So again, that's not his fault either. It has to do with his understanding and awareness or lack of awareness of our space. So it's plain and simple. Here's what happens. The person realizes they need to get the horse out of their space and try to correct his apparent misunderstanding, okay? The two most common ways I see this being done is a holding and pushing on the halter, okay? And trying to push that horse back. If that works and when that works, in other words, it's effective, and that horse backs up, the person thinks, there, I've got that horse to understand he should be out of my space. Only do, does he? Do they? No, because five seconds later or five minutes later or tomorrow or whatever, it happens again. It will happen again and again and again. And we get frustrated, but then we get distracted. You know, we're talking with our friends and, and then we're not as consistent with it because we're distracted and our horse pushes through us and we just get out of their way again. And so we've just shot ourselves in the foot again, but we were anyway and we didn't even realize it because when we push back with the halter, we're using the direct feel, which I mentioned before, which is supposed to be for softening the pole. We're using that to push his feet back. And he's heavy in our hands, sometimes incredibly heavy in that, on the feel of that lead. So he's not softening at the pole at all. And so now we're being completely inconsistent with that tool. And we're going to talk about the direct feel in another episode, but, but we're not only being ineffective with helping him understand our space better because we're not using our space, we're actually misusing another tool that will lead to other confusions down the road where he does not soften or yield the pole to our direct feel, which is a huge problem. Very, very common problem. Very, very common. Okay? And we've done it. We've done it to ourselves because we don't understand these things and we're inconsistent at best. The second way that I see people back a horse up and that they're commonly taught to back a horse up is the wiggling of the lead rope under the chin, okay? Where you, where you send, you know, flick that lead rope and you, and you wiggle that up under their chin, okay? This is commonly taught within natural horsemanship circles and it can be effective. It certainly can be. And it can be done, it, if it's done very, very well, it can be done in a way that is, is not too bad. However, Again, we're using the tool that we, I think, I really think that we should use primarily to ask them to soften the pole and get supple. We're using it to get to the feet again and not in a way that asks the horse to get supple. Okay. What's more, again, he may or may not be correlating that with our actual space and position. So he still is not understanding he's, he's in our space or he needs to stay out of our space. Okay. This is your safety that's at stake, number one. But it's also his understanding of your leadership, which helps him feel safe around you, which of course is a big piece of how you're going to feel safe around him, is if, is if he's coming along with you and trusts you and, and, and takes your word for these things, you're both going to feel safer and stay safer in the long run. It's, it's, a, it's a cycle, 
either way. It can be a real good virtuous cycle or it can be a real bad vicious cycle. And it's these little details that build this. So in a nutshell, wiggling the lead, the most natural thing that that does to most horses, if we're going to talk about an approach that fits the horse, is it causes the head to go up. It drives the pole into the sky, which basically means you're adding brace. You're adding an element of brace to the pole when you do that. And so instead of asking the pole to soften to the direct feel, you're actually using it in a way that causes more brace. And so that builds, of course, an incorrect backup. If their head's up, they're hollow in their back, they're pushing from their front, and they're going to get their hindquarters in the way. This is, this is basically a recipe for rearing quite often, or even, you know, tipping over backwards with a rider, you know, in an extreme case. It's not a recipe for a correct backup. Now, this is another subject entirely, the correct backup and the way I, I try to develop that in my groundwork and then into my ridden work. But that, that's, that's a whole nother subject. But essentially, if the horse is pushy, if he's crowding me, I don't think of it in terms of disrespectful because then I get offended. It's easy for us to get offended if we're being disrespected. But the horse intends no disrespect. That's what we got to understand is that he's not trying to be disrespectful. It's not personal. He has nothing against you. He simply isn't aware enough of you. And so if we simply help him be more aware of our space by using life and space together to help indicate, and we bring up some energy in our body, we may be stomping our feet, we may be slapping our legs, we may be raising our hands a bit, we may be doing a combination of these things, or whatever it is that we sort of come to find and feel within ourselves. It's not a formula, in other words what is going to be effective to help that horse realize that where he's currently living in my bubble, I don't want him living there. I don't want him abiding there. I need him to go live somewhere else. <laughs> you know, give me some breathing room here. That's, that's basically all I'm doing is I'm making that environment a bit fractious. I'm making that environment where he thinks he can share my bubble. I'm basically saying, no, no, no get, get out of my bubble. Okay, okay. And so there's an element of indirect feel. There's, a, there's an element of pressure there, a fractiousness in that atmosphere that he finds release to as he moves away or backs away from me. He finds release. Pretty soon he starts to realize that there is a bubble there that he consistently, every single time, runs into this fractious or uncomfortable, not physically, psychologically uncomfortable space right there. And pretty soon, he'll stay out of it. What's more, most of them will get to where they will actually stay out of it. Even when they get a fright or they spook, they tend to jump around you or try to get around you. Okay? It will help you stay so much safer on the ground if you get consistent with this. So once again, position, life, and space. These are the elements of our body language or what I call the indirect feel. If you want to learn more about this, I encourage you to check out our Groundwork series. Again, you can watch trailers on YouTube under the playlist, uh, video, online video library trailers. And, or you could start your free trial today at truewesthorsemanship.com. Thank you so much for listening. Really do appreciate your time. And I uh, hope that gave you something to think about. Keep up the good work. Keep your mind in the middle and your leg on both sides. And we'll catch you down the road. Well, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to American Cowboy in New Zealand. If 
you like this episode, please share and leave your five-star rating or review. Remember, you can find us on social media or our website, truewesthorsemanship.com.